Well, isn't it great to be in church today? Huh? Isn't that a great thing? Hey, a couple of things I want to say before we get right into the message. I hope that you never take for granted the incredible worship we have at our church. I've been to churches all over America. I've been in all kinds of services, and I'm telling you, I think we have some of the best worship right here that you'll ever find anywhere in America. And uh, we have a great team. Thank you for the way that you entered into worship, by the way, and praising, magnifying God who ought to be praised, who is worthy of every bit of worship that we could give to him. Second thing I wanted to just take a moment and mention to you, uh, if you're on our email list, you know that you got a sort of an e-blast from me this week, just letting you know that the interview that I'm going to do with uh, the former heavyweight champion or professional wrestling champion, Shawn Michaels, has been postponed by one week uh, due to Shawn's schedule. He had to be out of town this Sunday, but he is definitely going to be here next week. It's not going to be the whole service, but it's going to be a segment of the service, and then we'll jump right into the message series that we're a part of. Uh, but uh, by the way, before I go any further, how many of you have heard of Shawn Michaels, by the way? Just sort of wave at me like this. You know, I've got, got to know him recently, and I'm telling you, he was not a light weight in his career, in his profession, in his sport. And I'm telling you, as a follower of Jesus, he's not a lightweight. He's not like a novice. He's not just like an athlete that says, hey, uh, you know, thank God, or I just want to thank the great. I mean, this is a solid, deeply devoted follower of Jesus. And his story and his journey of how he came to Jesus is remarkable. It really is. I know what it is. You probably don't know it yet. That's why I want to do this interview with Sean next week. So Sean Michaels, I encourage you to bring somebody with you. In, in fact, let me just say this. If, if you know of somebody, or maybe you even thought yourself, hey, you've got to be a pretty weak person to become a follower of Jesus, that's all about to be debunked next week. I'm just telling you. This is a seriously, he's a tough guy, but he's a godly guy, and you're going to enjoy his story. You know, I grew up, you know, in church. I really did. I'm so grateful uh, for that. I'm so glad that my mom and dad kept me in church uh, when I was uh, a kid growing up, I'm so thankful for that. And, and they did it consistently. They were not haphazard. Uh, I mean, they made sure we were in church. It wasn't like, hey, you, you know, you, you got to go to school, but we don't feel too good on Sunday morning. So just let's, let's rest. You know, they had us in church and I'm grateful for that. And, and you know, the reality is I grew up and I, I don't know why, except, you know, God in his providence, unbeknownst to me, would, um, you know, have his hand upon my life, what I would eventually spend my life doing. But the reality is I grew up loving to hear pastors and speakers and Bible teachers share messages and talk straight out of the Bible. I, I enjoyed that. I love, even when I was small, and I can't explain it except to just say it was what God was, and I, I loved, I'd be in the adult service, and, and we didn't have a lot of the great kids' ministries like we have at our church, and, and so we, we were just in there, and, and man, I'd, just, I'd be like on the edge of my seat just listening. Now, I cannot say the same for my younger sister, and uh, you know, she's a wonderful Christian. She's probably a better Christian uh, today than I am, but, but she was not as fond of it as I was back in those days. In, in fact, I can remember, and I I only remember it because enough of my family members have shared this story. I know it's true. I was too small. I was too young to even know that it happened because her and I are just 11 months apart. But on one particular Sunday in our home church, we had this guest speaker. And man, he was loud and he was all over the place. And the longer he went, the more energetic he got and the more he marched around that place and the louder that he got. And my sister was deep in her nap when she was suddenly awakened by his loud voice. 
She sat up. She's being held by my papa while she was taking her nap. She sat straight up, looked at the speaker and said, shut up. You know, she had had enough. Well, I hope you won't do that today. I really don't. If you do, I'm going to sick Sean on you next week. I'll take your name. But, uh, you know, I, I thought, you know, growing up and just loving to hear messages from the Bible, talks from the Bible, teachers, pastors, leaders, I, I've just so many times wondered what would it have been like? What would it have been like to hear Jesus give a message? What would it have been like to hear Jesus give a talk? Could you imagine the anticipation of that moment? I'm just saying, hey, we know that Jesus is going to be in our town. He's going to be in our community, you know, such and such date, and just gather around, and, and we're going to hear Jesus give a message. Oh, man, wouldn't that, we'd be, you know, we'd be loving each other, but we'd be fighting each other to get close to the front, and we'd want to be there. Well, of course, you and I have never had that opportunity. We're never going to have that opportunity, but I'm telling you, we've got the very next best thing, and that is we have the transcripts of what Jesus taught. And it's for us in the Bible. It's for us in the Gospels. And, um, you know, out of all the messages that Jesus gave, the Sermon on the Mount was his most famous. And during this series, we've been looking at these eight life-changing, attention-grabbing sayings of Jesus and thoughts of Jesus and teachings of Jesus and lifestyle principles of Jesus that he gives in the very beginning in the opening statements of the Sermon on the Mount. And to this point, we have looked at three of them. Uh, when we got started with this series, uh, Bill took the first one, Matthew 5, 3, and uh, he just helped us to better understand what Jesus said and what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and then a couple of weeks ago, uh, a couple of Sundays ago, and those of you that were here knew that my my mother had just been buried, uh, regrettably, uh, a few days before that Sunday, on Tuesday leading up to that Sunday, and it would only be fitting that uh, I would be able to personally talk to you, not out of the Bible, but also out of my soul, about what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4, when Jesus said, God blesses those who grieve, and they're going to find comfort. And I shared that with you two weeks ago, and I'm happy. I said this last week. And I'm happy to tell you, I'm still finding that same truth to be true, that God blesses those who grieve. And in Jesus, they find remarkable comfort. And then last week, we went to uh, verse 5, the third of these eight Beatitudes. And we talked about this and how important it is when Jesus said, blessed are those who are gentle. That God blesses that. They're going to inherit the earth. The earth is going to belong to them. And we talked about that in in, uh, somewhat great detail. Now, this morning, we arrive at the fourth of eight Beatitudes. And to me, friends, they just, you know, I know they're all good, but they just keep getting better and better. In, in fact, I, I mentioned that following that interview I'm going to do with Sean next week, we're going into the fifth. And I think, you know, how do you say it's the best one? Because they're all the best. But the one that we're going to look at next Sunday is so absolute. I'm not even going to tell you what it is. I'm just telling you, you need to be here and you're going to need that message. I'm just telling and I need that message. But today we come to verse six. This is the fourth of eight. And I want you to read it with me. And then we're going to talk about it for the next several moments. Here we go. Are you ready? Everybody now, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Let's read it again. All right, everybody now, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
Now, what does that mean? What does it mean, you know, hungering and thirst for righteousness? What does that mean? Now, there's a lot that I do not know at this stage in my life, a lot that I've not yet figured out, a lot that I do not understand. But I've got to say, at this particular point in my life, there are several things that I do understand. There's relationship dynamics that I understand. I, I, I know what it is to be a son. I know what it is to be a son. I know what it is to be a grandson. I know what it is to be a husband. I know what it is to be a father of three. I now know in the last three years what it's like to be a papa, and that's like one of the best designations of all, to be a papa. In fact, my little granddaughters, by the way, are here this weekend. They were in the 930 service. They are here. They've come from Illinois back to Lakeland for a wedding, and I'm so glad that somebody's getting married. In fact, if you have a marry, uh, you know, a wedding coming up in your family, would you please invite my grandkids so they can come back to Florida? So I know what it's like to be these days. I know what it's like to be a brother. I know what it's like to be an uncle. I know what it's like to be a pastor. I know what it's like to be the current champion of Dancing with the Stars in The Voice. Okay, maybe those last two, I don't know that yet. But what I really want to know, what I really, really want to know, and I think you're the same way. I really want to know it, maybe more so than at any other time in my life. I want to know what it is to become righteous. I want to know what it's like to live a righteous life. And the Bible talks about it again and again. And then we come to this most famous of all of Jesus' message. And right in the beginning, right in the beginning, his opening statements, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst to live a righteous life because here's what's going to happen. God's going to fill them up. God's going to fill them up. But if you're like me, it's like, okay, I want that. I need that in my life. That's what I want. I'm passionate. I want to go after a righteous kind of life. But then you have to stop and say, all right, but I need to understand fundamentally, what is Jesus really talking about when he says, I need to hunger and thirst for righteousness? What's Jesus talking about? Because if you're like me, when you see the words righteous or righteousness in the Bible, it's like sometimes it can seem a little puzzling, a little bit nebulous, a little bit fuzzy a little bit elusive to us. And again, we know we need it. We know that we want it. But how can we better understand it? And how can we experience it personally in our life? So with those kind of thoughts, I want to merge into a couple of questions. And I'll go ahead and declare to you up front what I'm going to do. I want to give you two primary questions that's going to help us, I think, to better understand righteousness. And then I'm going to give you four really practical steps to help you and I move toward that kind of life. So question number one, if you're taking notes, you're putting this in your phone or your tablet, here's the very first question, and I'll just say it simply. What does it mean to be righteous? What does it mean? Jesus said, if you hunger and thirst for it, you're going to be filled. This is going to be. And if Jesus says, by the way, in his eight statements, that if you really do want to live a life that is blessed by God, if you really do want to live a happy life, because the word blessed is connected, it's correlated with the word happy. If you really want to live a blessed and happy life, then here's what you've got to do. You've got to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Then the, this key, this one of eight keys demands our attention and our commitment therein. There's a Bible scholar by the name of Scott McKnight, and in defining righteousness, this is what he has said. He said, to be righteous means that our minds and our wills and our behaviors will be conformed to God's will. That our minds, our wills, and our behaviors will be conformed to God's will. Scott McKnight accurately said that that's what it means to be righteous. But you would, if you would like an even more concise 
understanding and description of righteousness, it simply means this, and all of us can get this. If you say, all right, I want to live a righteous life. I want the righteousness of God to become a practical, practical reality for me. What does it mean? This is what it means. This is the simplest way to say it. Righteousness means simply this, to be right with God, to be right with God. And all of us ought to have energy and passion and commitment to that, to make certain that we are right with God. This verse is not on the screen, but in Romans chapter 1, and we'll look at several verses in Romans, by the way. Romans 1.17 says this, the good news shows how God makes people right with himself. I love that verse, that God, the good news shows how that God makes people right with himself. When you see in the Bible this idea or you hear it spoken of, like what is the good news? The good news and the gospel are congruent with one another. Uh, You know, when you put it in the context of the Bible, the good news is the gospel. The gospel is the good news. And some of the best news, some of the greatest news that you're ever going to find in the Bible anywhere is this, that God makes us right with himself. That's great news because we don't deserve it. You're going to hear me say in just a few moments, we can't make it happen. That is an effort in futility. Only God can make us right. We can't do it on our own. He makes us right with himself. So what is a righteous life means? It means a life that is right with God. We're in right standing with God. But righteousness, if we're going to teach it on out a little bit more, and I want you to be sure you get this as well, that righteousness is also a lifestyle. Think of it this way. God has made me right with himself. I cannot do that on my own. I possess, you possess an inability to cause that to become a reality. We cannot make ourselves righteous. But what we ought to do, being that we have been made right with God, we need to cooperate with God's initiative and we need to live right. So I cannot make myself right with God. Only God can do that. But I can move toward living the kind of life that God wants me to live. In fact, read this verse with me. This is 1 John, 1 John 2, 29. Let's everybody read it together. Help me out, 100% now. Let's read it together. All who practice righteousness are God's true children. Who are God's true children? Who are they? All who practice righteousness. You want to know you're a true child of God? How do you know? You practice righteousness. Now, it really bags the question, and this is not question number two, we'll come to that. This is still under that first question. But why give a rip about righteousness, really? I mean, why? I mean, why get all amped up about righteousness? And a lot of people don't. You know tons of people that they, they, don't, they don't give anything. They don't care about a righteous kind of life at all. You've got people in your family that are like that. They may even scoff at a righteous kind of life. You've got friends that you know, and you're not castigating them. You're not being judgmental. You're not being smug or sanctimonious, but you know that they have no interest in, in a righteous life. You certainly know people probably where you work. They don't care about righteousness. You probably have neighbors, and maybe you even hear your neighbors who live over you in the condominium or apartment where you live, and you hear some of their parties, and you're like, I don't think that's a righteous kind of life. And so you've got all kind of people in your life that they simply do not care. So why should you care? Why should I care? What's the big deal about being right with God, about a righteous kind of life? Just look, and there's many I could take you to, but just look at Proverbs 12, 28. Look at this verse. Proverbs 12, 28 says this, in this way or in the way or the path, we might would say, in the way or the path of righteousness, there is what? What is there? Life along that path is what? Immortality. 
So why? And, and that makes it a really big deal because you say, look, look now, follow me on this. If you say that a righteous life is the path to life and immortality, within well, all of a sudden, this takes on a whole new important meaning. To have life on earth. You take this path. This is what the scripture says. You take this path. It's going to lead to life, life that is really life. And, and why is that a big deal? Because people who are walking this earth all over the place do not have real life. They have an existence, but they don't have a life. You know a lot of people like that. They only live for the weekend. They live for the end of a work day. They live for payday. They live for this. It's been, they, they, they live for so many things that are so empty and wasted, and they don't have purpose, and they don't have meaning, and they don't have destiny, and they don't have really God-inspired dreams that are driving and motivating their life. They have life. They have breath, but it's just an existence. It's not a real life. And the Bible says that if you follow the path of righteousness, it leads you into life on earth that is really life but it also leads you into the path of immortality. Heaven with God in a perfect place, with perfect people and a perfect God for all time and eternity. Now that matters a whole lot. That matters a whole lot. So question number one is this, what does it mean to be righteous? Question number two, how do you and I become more righteous? How do we do that? I mean, we can't make, you heard me say that, we can't make ourselves right with God. God makes us right with himself, but what's our part? So let's start with our problem before we arrive at our solution. Do you know this? All of us have a problem. Aren't you glad you came today? You've got to, in fact, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take just a moment, and it may be a family member beside you, a friend, it may be somebody you don't know, but, and it's okay, all right? So you can do this. You've got permission. Look at the person, take just a moment, look at the person next to you and say, you've got a problem. Just go ahead. Just look at him, really. Just say, you got a problem. All right? All right, some, some responded back to you. I know this probably happened and said, yes, I do. My problem is I'm seated near you. All right? So that's my problem. All right, so we need to take this all the way out. Unless somebody think you're picking on them a little bit. Look back at him. You can say it again. you got a problem, but then this time add to it, and I've got a problem too. Go ahead. It's okay, really. This is legal. It's all right. Nowhere in the Bible tells us we can't do it. Say, I've got a problem too. And we've all got a problem. All of God's people, all creation has a problem. And here it is. Look at it. This is Ecclesiastes 7.20 when it says this, there is not a righteous person on earth who does what is right and never sins. We got a problem. We got a big problem. We can't do right on our own. We just can't. There's no person, there's our problem. We cannot in and of ourselves be right with God because we can't say we never sin. Do we have any perfect people here? Do we, any perfect people here? I don't think so. I don't think we have any here. We have anybody here that's sinless? I don't think so. We have anybody here, uh, listen, that's never had a bad thought? Is there, you know, if you say, I've, I've lived my whole life, I've never had a bad thought, well then, hey, you're way better off than I am. I've never spoken a careless word. Can anybody here say that? I know I can't say that. Can anybody here ever say, I've never had a lousy attitude, not even one time? None of us can say that. None of us can say, I've done that. So most people concede that they are not perfect. Most people will be uh, quick to declare that they are not right with God on their own, but then they make an assumption, and this becomes, this adds, this complicates, this further implicates the problem, and the problem that we have is we know that we cannot be right 
with God, apart from God. But here's where our problem becomes even more complicated. We understand that. So what do we do? We try to fix it. I'm going to fix it. And what we do is we devise our own self-moral improvement plan, and we say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this happen. But that's, again, that's part of the problem. This verse is not on the screen, but I want you to listen to it. Romans 3.20 says, for no one is put right in God's sight by doing what the law requires. People say, I know, I'm going to be declared righteous because I'm going to do everything the law tells me to do. And the Bible says you cannot be right in God's sight by just fulfilling the law, by doing what the law requires. In fact, Paul goes on to say what the law does is make us know that we have sinned. Paul doesn't say you fulfill the law and you're righteous with God. He said what the law does, listen now, you need to get this. What the law does is not make us righteous and our fulfillment of the law make us righteous. What the law does is it points out to us that we need God. You with me on that? Does it wave at me like this? I know it's a rainy, overcast day. All right, so wait. Are you with me on this? So the law doesn't make me righteous. The law only points out to an added degree that I need God in my life. All right? Furthermore, Romans 6, you go three chapters later. Again, this, this one is not on the screen, but it tells us this. The wages of sin is death. So I've got a problem. You've got a problem. Person seated next to you have a problem. Problem is we're not right with God apart from God, and we cannot make ourselves right. We cannot fix it. And the wages of sin is, is death. So follow me on, on this now. This is really important. You've got to catch this. Don't be thinking about your grocery list. Don't be thinking about lunch. Don't be thinking about work tomorrow. Here's what I want you to think about. Here's the reality. Our human condition and our human effort falls miserably short. So our human condition has a problem. We're not right with God apart from God. And our human effort falls short in the fact that we can't Work this out. We can't fix it. We can't make ourselves right with God. So is there a solution to our problem? The answer to that is yes. And the answer, by the way, and you know this, is God. God is always the right answer to our personal predicament. And I want you to listen. These are three verses here. It's still in Romans 3, and this is what it says. Listen very carefully, all of you. Now, all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All of us have sinned. Does that apply to anybody here? Let me just see your hand. If you think at some point in time you've sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. If you say, I have sinned, all right? Those of you who did not raise your hand, either you're asleep or you just prove what a sinner you are because you weren't honest. (laughs) All of us have sinned. We've fallen short of God's glory. That's a problem. Look at part or listen to part of the solution. But God treats us much better than we deserve. How many of you have found that to be true in your life? How many of you know if God did not treat us better than we deserve, none of us would be here? We'd be a tiny speck of dust. But God treats us much better than we deserve, and because of Christ Jesus, he freely accepts us and sets us free from our sins. Here's the solution. God sent Christ to be our sacrifice. Here's our solution. Christ offered his life's blood so that by faith in him, we could come to God. We could be right with God. And God did this to show us that in the past, he was right to be patient and to forgive sinners. This also shows that God is right when he accepts people who have faith in Jesus. Read this next verse with me, everybody. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Let's all read this one together. It is on the screen. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made so we can be right with God through Christ. We've got a problem. We can't be right 
apart from God on our own. We can't fix it. We can't go into any kind of self-moral inventory plan, you know, make ourselves improvement plan and make ourselves. But here's the solution. We're made right with God. And God sent Christ who never sinned. So here's the solution. God looked at our condition. He knew the futility of our efforts. And he said, I know what this solution is. And God sent Jesus. And you think about it. Jesus, the sinless one, died for all of us sinners, you and me. And because of that, we're made right with God. Read this next verse with me, everybody. Uh, Titus 3, 5 says this. He saved us because of his mercy and not because of any good thing that we have done. Because of mercy. We're made right with God. How are we made right with God? How do we become righteous? Is it what we do? No. Here's the good news. You talk about good news. You talk about the gospel. Here is is the gospel. The gospel is this. The gospel is that God makes us right with himself. The gospel is that Jesus redeems our life. The gospel is that he takes our sin-prone life and he causes us to become born again. The gospel is this. Listen, listen. The gospel is this. The gospel is not what can I do. The good news of the gospel is what has Jesus already done for me? It's not what can I do. It's what Jesus has already done. Now, these are three incredible verses, or two actually, that I want you to see on the screen. I want you to look at them, and then we're going to pray. And you say, is service over yet? No, service is not over yet, all right? It's not the end of the service, but I do want to pray right here, and there's a reason why I want to pray right here. And I'm going to pray right after I read, and you follow along with me, please, these two verses. This is out of Romans, seven chapters later, and this is what it says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. You're going to be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. So we're not done yet. I'm going to pray, but this is not the end of the service, so you don't even have to put your shoes back on yet. But I want you to bow your heads, and I want you to close your eyes. Because we'd be making a very faulty assumption to assume that everybody here is right with God. To assume that everybody's confessed Jesus as the Savior and the leader of your life. You've got to believe you with your heart. But it's more than believing with your heart that Jesus is who he said he is. Listen, if that's all it was, then the devil would be a believer. Because he believes Jesus is who he said he is. But he's not confessed Jesus as the Savior and leader of his life. And maybe you haven't either, but you can do that right here, right now. And right where you're seated, would you just say this? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Jesus, thank you that you came into this world. You were sent by God, God who loves me. And thank you that you who are sinless and perfect in every way took all of my sins upon yourself and you died on the cross for me. I believe that. I believe in my heart that you are who you said you are. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that God raised you from the dead and I confess with my mouth that you are my savior, my leader, the forgiver of my sins. And the Bible says when I do that, I will be saved. The Bible says I will be declared right with your father in heaven. In Jesus' name. Now, don't look up yet. Your heads are still bowed. How many of you, don't even look up when you raise your hand, but you said, 
You know, Pastor Jeff, I prayed that prayer with you, and I meant it with all of my heart. Let me just see your hand really, really quickly. You prayed it. You meant that with all of your heart. I see a lot of hands, a lot of hands all over this place. The Bible says, you can look up now. The Bible says when you do that, you're saved. You say, is it that easy? It's that easy. You can't. Isn't that way better than you try to fix it yourself? I tried that route. It didn't work. I tried to be good. I couldn't make myself be good apart from Jesus. But you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead after he died on the cross. You confess him as your Savior and leader, and you become in right standing with God. Now, that, that's, you know, the, the biblical understanding for righteousness. Just remember, it's to be right with God. But what I want to do in the last few minutes of this service is to give you something practical to take with you. Practically speaking, how do we remain hungry? How do we remain thirsty for righteousness? How do we live a righteous life? So if we're in Jesus, we've been declared righteous. We're right with God. But again, I mentioned to you earlier, righteousness is also a lifestyle. So I need to be cooperative with the initiative of God. And I need to seek to live the kind of life that God wants me goes back to what Matt Knight said, my, my mind, my will, my, my behavior, and the conformity with the will of God for my life. So I'm going to give you four thoughts here, and you may want to jot these down. You've got the two questions. Now I want to give you four thoughts. Number one, set the right goal. Set the right goal. A lot of times you hear people talking about setting goals, and that is all well and good, and I encourage you to do that because you're probably only going to accomplish the things you set goals for. But a lot of times people leave their goals short. person says, well, you know, here's my goal. My goal is to be successful. My goal is to be happy. My goal is to be healthy. My goal is to be calm and at peace, and that's what my goals are. But what if you approach your life differently than that? And you said, all right, those things are all right, but here's what I'm going to choose to do. I am going to choose to make knowing God better my highest goal. Knowing God better, that's going to become my number one priority. Do I want to be successful? Yes, I do. Do I want to be happy? Yes, I do. Do you know what? A lot of the things that we get so worried about, the reality is if we would get God right in our life, (laughs) it would take care of a lot of the things that we get worried about. We were at the reverse end back rather than saying, I want to make God the number one priority in my life. I was reading in my devotions this week. It's not a part of a message preparation or working on giving a talk. It's just my own time with God. And I was reading in my devotionals this week. I, on this particular reading, was in the Old Testament. And it is really talking about what a wonderful, incredible, godly man that King David was. And, and I'm just thinking to myself, because when I'm reading, I'm just reading, but I'm not thinking chronologically. When I'm reading all of these great things that it says about David, this is what I said in my subconscious. This is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, this must have been written before David's adultery. This must have been, uh, you know, written before his conspiracy to murder Bathsheba's wife. So I'm thinking these things. It's talking about what a great and wonderful man that King David was. And I'm thinking this. Oh, yeah, this must have been before his tragic fall. But then, you know what I read? It says it again. And And then it said, in this little phrase, except for the sin of Uriah. Except for the sin of Uriah. So I'm like, no, this this was after. This was not before. And and I'm thinking, now, why would the Bible, it's just applauding, lauding, celebrating what a wonderful, wonderful man that David was. And this is post-adultery, post-murder. And then it clicked with me. You know why that was? It was simply because of this. Number one, David repented. How many of you know it's a good thing that God forgives our sins? 
And David, David repented of his sin. But let me tell you a, a second thing. It was known in David's life, and this is why I believe he was elevated and commended. It was because of his passion for God. It was his hungering and thirst after righteousness. I could show you many examples, but let me just show you one. Look at it here on the screen. Psalm 63.1 says, this is David. Oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. Look at these words, my soul thirsts. Remember back in Matthew, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they're going to be filled. And this is David saying, you know what, God? My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You know what David is saying? David is saying, God, before my tragic fall and afterwards, this is what I want you to know. Yes, I've made some mistakes, but I'm going to get back up and I'm going to keep moving forward. And God, you're the number one priority of my life. I'm going to be passionate about you. I'm going to follow you. Look at this uh, next verse. Now, this is not David. This is actually Jesus. And Jesus said this, the thing you should want most in God's kingdom is doing what God wants. Then all these other things, and I was just talking about that, you need will be given to you as well. We work at it the reverse end back. And we just say, you know what? I want this. I want to experience that. No, what we ought to do is set the right goals. The right goal is to make God our number one priority. All right? Look at the statement about John Ortberg. He said, we will always take the most care of that which we value most d- deeply. We will always take care of that which we, the most care of that which we value most deep, deeply. It's easy to determine what matters to you most by the time and attention and focus and money you put on it. You see, if your car, and I'm sure you got a great car, but if that's your number one priority, guess what? It gets your number one attention. You're always going to be you're always going to be giving attention to that car. I mean, you get one speck of dust and you pull out a shop vac that is two bigger, two sizes bigger than your car. And you're going to take care of it. And you're going to, you know, if that's your number one priority, it's going to get your most care because you value it most deeply. If it's your house, if it's your boat, if it's your friends, if it's your family. But what if you just said, I'm going to make my relationship with God my number one priority? So how do you and I hunger and thirst for righteousness? How do we live a righteous life? Number one, set the right goal. Secondly, fill up on the right food. Fill up on the right food. If I want to be healthy, I've got to eat right. How many of you know that? I've got to eat right. If you want to be spiritually healthy, you've got to eat right. And I need to get into God's Word, and so do you, and you every single day. You see, when you and I get into the Bible, we're getting into something that's going to feed our soul. We're getting into God's word to us that's going to help us to become spiritually strong. When we read the Bible, it's going to inspire us to live righteously. You know what I love about the Bible? And it's so correlated to the activity of the Holy Spirit. There are so many similarities in this. The Bible, just like the Holy Spirit, provides me with comfort, but the Bible also provides me with conviction. And if I'm Aaron, the Bible speaks to me. And uh, it's just important that we do this. In 1 Peter 2, 2, read this with me, everybody now. Desire God's pure word as newborn babies desire milk. Then you will grow in your salvation. You ever been around a hungry baby? I mean, they'll make a lot of racket. And the Bible says you hunger for the word of God in that same way. You hunger for the word of God, for the Bible. Now, because it's the right food, the Bible, here's what's going to happen. The more you take it into your life, the more it's going to change your life. So read it and study it and meditate on it. 
and memorize it and live it. I, I do not say this being judgmental, but it is an observation that I've made. And that is that scores of Christians are spiritually weak and malnourished because they're not eating right. They're not getting into the Bible. And I have these conversations with people. I, I'm like challenging them to get into the Bible. And, and they're not saying it this way, but, you know, I, I, I can sort of get where they're coming from. And, and I've wondered, well, I'm challenging somebody to be in the Bible every, every day, every day, because they've got to eat every day. If they're going to be healthy spiritually, they've got to eat the right food. And, and I know what's going on in some people's minds while they're doing that. I, I know, I know. I've talked to some of these smart aleck friends of mine. And they're like, yeah, that's good. But you're paid to read the Bible. You're paid to read the Bible. And, and, and then, then it's almost, uh, they talk about they're the only busy person in the world. They're the only busy person in the whole world. You know what? And I challenge them. It's amazing to me. I mean, that some people, some of the very people who have told me, I, you know, am implying that they're like busier than anybody else on God's planet. I am so, so busy. I don't really have, I appreciate it. Appreciate it, Jeff. But I don't have time to read the Bible every day. You know what's amazing to me? They have time to keep up with Facebook. Anybody still in here? I don't, did you slip out? I mean, quietly. They've got time to keep up with their favorite program. They wouldn't miss that for the world. In fact, if they miss it, they record it so they can go back and watch it. But they don't have time for the Bible. You know what I've discovered? You and I make time for the things that we really want to do. If God's the number one priority in your life, you'll make time for God. If the Bible, you're like a newborn babe who wants to scream and cry for milk because that's your appetite for the Bible, you'll find a way to get into the Bible. Thirdly, and I need to hurry. Let me give you the last two quickly. Thirdly, avoid the junk. Avoid the junk. You want to live a righteous life? Avoid the junk. If you're eating clean, and a lot of you do this, you're eating clean. You're just saying, I'm going to, you know, to the best of my ability, I'm going to eat clean. I'm going to, you know, my diet is primarily going to, you know, revolve around some lean proteins, and I'm going to stay away from processed foods, and it's going to involve a lot of vegetables and lots of fruits, and, you know, I'm going to eat clean, maybe some low-carb, things like that, and you do that, and I do that a lot, a lot of the time, but then... You know, you probably have been like me. You've got Super Bowl coming up, and you have no intentions of eating clean on Super Bowl. And I've done that. I've been like, okay, I'm going to take a break from eating clean, and and I'm going to eat. And you know what my go-to is? It's generally speaking about 85% of the time when I want to have a splurge and come off of clean eating for just a day or an evening or something, I'm like, pizza. I got to have pizza. And then I can't just stop at the pizza. I've got to follow it up by God's great, one of God's great gifts to the earth, and that's ice cream. And it's not a little scoop. It's like this is a splurge. So bless God, let's splurge. <laughs> let's really, we're going to eat it. Let's really eat it. And this happens to me all the time. Been eating clean, 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 feeling so good, getting enough rest, staying in the gym, doing, I'm just feeling really good. And I eat all of that pizza, and I follow it up with, I chase it with all of that ice cream, and then I'm just like after, I'm just like, I feel horrible. <sighs> you ever done this? You just feel yuck. It's like, why did I do that? You know why? It's so good going down. But it didn't feel good afterwards. Check out this verse. Proverbs fifteen fourteen says, A wise person is hungry for knowledge while the fool feeds on trash. So take a moment right now and truthfully assess, am I consuming any trash into my life? Am I watching any movies that I shouldn't be watching? Am I watching any television programs? Are there any books? 
Am I looking at stuff on the computer? Am I putting trash? Am I ingesting trash into my, my body, the body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit? What about my, what am I doing? What junk food do I need to stay away from which will help me to live more righteously? You still in here? Start. Are you still in here? Lastly, hang out with spiritually hungry people. People are influencers. I am so glad that my football-loving buddies were not with me yesterday. I am so glad. I had to go to Best Buy, and I walked in Best Buy. I was in the North, North Campus. been there at my office. I had to go to Best Buy to look for something, and I knew the Super Bowl was coming up. And I just thought, you know what? I know I'm not going to buy one, but I would just like to see one, a big TV. And I didn't go to the area I needed to. I walked right back to the TV. And I looked at one, and it said it was a Samsung 75-inch 4D TV. And I heard a voice speaking to me. (laughs) And said, you need that TV. Super Bowl coming up. And I said, I know that's not God. That's that's not God. You know, I I, I don't. Uh, And then I thought, I am so glad that none of my buddies would be around me trying to talk me into something I don't really need. Now, I had a privilege of growing up in church. I mentioned that to you. But I took an unfortunate detour in my teenage years for a while. And I was not helped by the reality that I had friends in my life at that time that were not passionate for Jesus. They, did, they were like people I mentioned earlier. They didn't give a rip about a righteous life. And that wasn't helping me to get back on track. See, here's the thing that all of us need to do. Here's the thing that all of us need to do. And all of us have people like this. Listen, you do, I do. All of us have positive and negative influences in our life. We do. You just do. And the people that you hang out with most are going to be the people that are going to influence you most. Every one of us, you've got people who influence you negatively. You've got people who influence you positively. And you've got to determine who you're going to hang around with most. You hang around with people that are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, guess what that's going to do? That's going to help you to become more hungry and more thirsty because they're going to inspire you to greatness, spiritually speaking. The other thing I I would encourage you to assess is assess your own influence. You see, you're not neutral. I'm not neutral. We're not disengaged. We're not just somewhere in between. The reality is you and I are either primarily, primarily, a negative or primarily a positive influence upon other people. And you've got to determine what you're going to be. And if you just say, and again, you're not saying this smugly, you're not saying it with a superior attitude, you're not being arrogant, you're not being prideful, but you say, for whatever reason, God has allowed me to be a positive influence on other people. Here's what I would ask you to do. I would ask you to sincerely pray about, hear me now, sincerely pray about becoming a small group leader. Why? Because there are people that need your influence. Well, I'm not perfect. Guess what? I'm not either. I'm not sinless. I'm not either. We all have settled that. But if God has used you, listen, listen, if God has used you to become a primary influence, a primary positive influence on other people, here's what I would encourage you to do. There's a card in your bulletin, and you could take that card and just say, hey, I would like to just come out to one of the discovery sessions and see what it's like to lead a small group. And you know what we're going to, we, we make this so easy for you. You know that God has given you the privilege to be a positive influence on other people. doesn't mean that like all of us, you don't have areas in your life where you need to grow. But you just say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be equipped by my church. And we're going to give you the resources. You don't have to sit down and write out lessons. You don't have to give a talk. 
You don't have to lead a Bible study. We will give you some incredible material. This semester, some of it is by Bill Hybels. It's incredible. Some of it is by Louis Giglio. It's incredible. And we're going to put it in your hands. And then you find some friends, some people you know. You can invite people that you know in your neighborhood or at work or some friends that you have in church, and you lead them through this material. You put it in. You play it. You talk about it. Leave a few chairs open for people that would be interested, that they would love to be a part of your group and love to be a part of your influence. And you take that card, and you fill your name out, and you just leave it out at the information table. Hang out. Hang out with people who are spiritually hungry. I've had a lot of people, and you can go ahead and stand. We're out of time, and... We need to pray. I have people tell me all the time. I hear this all the time. I need friends. Yes, you do. But you need the right friends. You need the right friends. I've had people say, you know, I, I, I just get lonely. I just need some friends. You know, there's going to be a lot of people leading a small group. I hope that many of you took me up on that challenge to lead one. And you need to get involved. With a small group. If you're not leading one, you need to be involved in one. You with me on that? If you're not leading one, you need to be a part of one. And you're going to meet some friends. You're going to grow in God. You're going to get around some spiritually hungry people. And that's only going to help you with God's help to become more and more righteous. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, that you are our solution. We know we've got a problem. We can't do right on our own. We can't be sinless. We can't make ourselves, no matter how hard we try, we can't make ourselves righteous. But you sent Jesus because you loved us. And Jesus, because of a sinless man dying for sinful people, we're able to be restored. We're in right standing with you. And then, God, I just pray that you would help us live more righteous lives. Help us to make our number one priority, getting to know you better and growing in you. Help us to fill our lives on the right food. Help us to not make time in our lives for everything else but the Bible, but to have a healthy meal from the Bible every day and to get rid of the junk that would contaminate our spiritual life, to hang out with people that are going to help us to love you more and be more passionate about you. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, I love you. Thank you for being here today. I'll see you right back here next week.